Hey guys, uh, before we start the podcast um, episode, I wanted to, uh, you know, tell you that this episode touches upon the concepts of uh, uh, the topics of race, sex, death, and some listeners might find this uncomfortable, um, so listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Varied Interests. With me, your host, Tarun Betala. I am very, very excited for the topics that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about H.P. Lovecraft, uh, his life and his works. Some of you might already be aware of him. Many of you might already be aware of him. Um, and his works, right? So even if it is not, even if you don't know um, Lovecraft, you know, Cthulhu and the cosmic horror uh, that that the whole mythos inspired is, um, is, is just brilliant, you know? Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about his life and his works. Uh, We're also going to, I'm going to do a reading from uh, one of his uh, works called Dagon, which is one of his early works and is arguably uh, the the story that set the stage for for what's to come next within within the H.P. Lovecraft mythos. Is that how you pronounce mythos? I don't know. Um, maybe I should Google it. Uh, but, you know, so, so yeah, it's going to be very exciting. That story is actually quite, um, you know, quite fantastic. Um, and it's very, very different, right, from, from stories that we normally hear. Um, you know, so, yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of what we'll talk about today. So stay tuned. It's going to be uh, a fun, fun ride. Before we get on to it, I do want to, you know, I do want to clear out one admin, uh, you know, admin business, uh, which is if you listen to the last episode, the first episode is, um, you know, we talked about Kodokushi a little bit. And in, you know, in that video, I said that Kodokushi, uh, that documentary or that uh, video was by NHK World, but it was actually by RT, RT Documentary. So I've, you know, I just wanted to clarify that and correct myself. Um, that being said, I have posted the link for that video in the episode description, in the last episode's description. So do check it out. So it's 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 quite a uh, informative sort of a documentary um, or a look at that Japanese phenomenon of Kodakushi, right? So 
uh, that's the admin business out of the way. Um, let's get on with the topics for today. Dagon by H.P. Lovecraft. I am writing this under an appreciable mental strain, since by tonight I shall be no more. Penniless and at the end of my supply of the drug which alone makes life endurable, I can bear the torture no longer and shall cast myself from this garret window into the squalid street below. Do not think from my slavery to morphine that I'm a weakling or a degenerate. When you have read these hastily scrawled pages, you may guess, though never fully realize why it is that I must have forgetfulness or death. It was in one of the most open and least frequented parts of the broad Pacific that the packet of which I was supercargo fell victim to a German sea raider. The Great War was then at its very beginning and the ocean forces of the Hun had not completely sunk to their later degradation. So our vessel was made a legitimate prize whilst we, of her crew, were treated with all the fairness and consideration due to us as naval prisoners. So liberal indeed that was the discipline of our captors that five days after we were taken, I managed to escape alone in a small boat with water and, and provisions for a good length of time. When I found myself adrift and free, I had built but little idea of my surroundings. Never a competent navigator, I could only guess vaguely by the sun and the stars that I was somewhat south of the equator. Of the longitude, I knew nothing, and no island or coastline was in sight. The weather kept fair, and for uncounted days, I drifted aimlessly beneath the scorching sun, waiting either for some passing ship or to be cast on the shores of some habitable land. But neither ship nor land appeared, and I began to despair in my solitude upon the heaving vastness of unbroken blue. The change happened whilst I slept. Its details I shall never know, for my slumber, though troubled and dream-infested, was continuous. When at last I awaked, it was to discover myself half sucked into a slimy expanse of hellish black mire which extended about me in monotonous undulations as far as I could see. And in which my boat lay grounded some distance away. Though one might well imagine that my first sensation would be of wonder at so prodigious and unexpected a transformation of scenery, I was in reality more horrified than astonished. For there was in the air and in the rotting soil a sinister quality which chilled me to the very core. The region was putrid with the carcasses of decaying fish and of other less describable things which I saw protruding 
from the nasty mud of the unending plain. Perhaps I should not hope to convey in mere words the unutterable hideousness that can dwell in absolute silence and barren immensity. There was nothing within here, and nothing in sight save a vast reach of black slime. Yet the completeness, the very completeness of the stillness and the homogeneity of the landscape oppressed me with a nauseating fear. The sun was blazing down from a sky which seemed to me almost black in its cloudless cruelty, as though reflecting the inky marsh beneath my feet. As I crawled into the stranded boat, I realized that only one theory could explain my position. Through some unprecedented volcanic upheaval, a portion of the ocean floor must have been thrown to the surface, exposing regions for which for innumerable millions of years had lain hidden under the unfathomable watery depths. So great was the extent of the new land which has risen beneath me that I could not detect the faintest noise of the surging ocean, strain my ears as I might. Nor were there any sea fowl to prey upon the dead things. For several hours I sat thinking or brooding in the boat which lay upon its side and afforded a slight shade as the sun moved across the heavens. As the day progressed, the ground lost some of its stickiness and seemed likely to dry sufficiently for traveling purposes in a short time. That night I slept but little, and the next day I made myself a pack containing food and water preparatory to an overland journey in search of the vanished sea and possible rescue. On the third morning, I found the soil dry enough to walk upon with ease. The odor of the fish was maddening, but I was too much concerned with graver things to mind so slight an evil and set out boldly for an unknown goal. All day I forged steadily westward, guided by the faraway hummock which rose higher than any other elevation on the rolling desert. That night I encamped and on the following day I still traveled toward the hummock. Though that object seemed scarcely nearer than when I had first espied it. By the fourth evening I attained the base of the mound which turned out to be much higher than it had appeared from, from a distance. An intervening valley setting it out in sharper relief from the great general surface. Too weary to ascend, I slept in the shadow of the hill. I know not why my dreams were so wild that night, but here the waning and the fantastically gibbous moon had risen far above the eastern plain. I was awake in a cold perspiration, determined to sleep no more. Such visions as I had experienced were too much for me to endure again. And in the glow of the moon, I saw how unwise I had been to travel by day. Without the glare of the parching sun, my journey would have cost me less energy. Indeed, I now felt able to perform the ascent with, which has, had deterred me at sunset. Picking up my pack, 
I started for the crest of the eminence. I've said the, I have said that the unbroken monotony of the rolling plain was a source of vague horror to me. But I think my horror was greater when I gained the summit of the mound and looked down the other side into an immeasurable pit or canyon whose black recesses the moon had not yet soared high enough to illuminate. I felt myself on the edge of the world, peering into the rim into a fathomless chaos of eternal light. Through my terror ran curious reminiscence of paradise lost and of Satan's hideous climb through the unfashioned realms of darkness. As the moon climbed higher in the sky, I began to see that the slopes of the valley were not quite so perpendicular as I had imagined. Ledges and outcroppings of rock afforded fairly easy footholds for a descent. And whilst I dropped, after a drop of a few hundred feet, the declivity became very gradual. Urged on by an impulse which I cannot definitely analyze, I scrambled with difficulty down the rocks and stood on the gentler slope beneath, gazing into the Stygian deeps where no light had yet penetrated. All at once, my attention was captured by a vast and singular object on the opposite slope, which rose steeply about a hundred yards ahead of me, an object that gleamed whitely in the newly bestowed rays of the ascending moon. That it was merely a gigantic piece of stone, I soon assured myself, but I was conscious of a distinct impression that its contour and position were not altogether the work of nature. A closer scrutiny filled me with sensations I cannot express. For despite its enormous magnitude and its position in an abyss which had yawned at the bottom of the sea since the world was young, I perceived beyond a doubt that the strange object was a well-shaped monolith whose massive bulk had known the workmanship and perhaps the worship of living and thinking creatures. Dazed and frightened, yet not without a certain thrill of the scientist's or archaeologist's delight, I examined my surroundings more closely. The moon, now near the zenith, shone weirdly and vividly above the towering steeps that hemmed in the chasm, and revealed the fact that a far-flung body of water flowed at the bottom, winding out of sight in both directions, and almost lapping my feet as I stood the slope. Across the chasm, the wavelets washed the base of the cyclopean monolith, on whose surface I now trace both inscriptions and crude sculptures. The writing was in a system of hieroglyphics unknown to me and unlike anything I had ever seen in books, consisting for the most part of conventionalized aquatic symbols such as fishes, eels, octopi, crustaceans, mollusks, whales and the like. Several characters obviously represented marine things which are unknown to the modern world, but whose decomposing forms I had observed on the ocean-risen plain. It was a pictorial carving, however, that did most to hold me spellbound. 
plainly visible across the intervening water on account of their enormous size were an array of, of base reliefs whose subjects would have excited the envy of a Doré. I think that these things were supposed to depict men, at least a certain sort of men, though the creature were shown disporting like fishes in the water of some marine grotto or paying homage to at some monolithic shrine which appeared to be under the waves as well. Grotesque beyond the imagination of a pole revolver, they were damnably human in general outline despite webbed hands and feet, shockingly wide and flabby lips, glassy bulging eyes, and other features less pleasant to recall. Curiously enough, they, they seem to have been chiseled badly out of proportion with their scenic background. For one of the creatures was shown in the act of killing a whale represented as but little larger than himself. I remarked, as I say, their grotesqueness and strange size, but in a moment decided that they were merely the imaginary gods of some primitive fishing or seafaring tribe, some tribe whose last descendant had perished eras before the first ancestor of the Piltdown or the Neanderthal man was born. Awestruck at this unexpected glimpse into the past beyond the conception of the most daring anthropologist, I stood musing whilst the moon cast queer reflections on the silent channel before me. Then suddenly I saw it. With only a slight churning to mark its rise to the surface, the thing slid into view above the dark waters. Vast, polyphemus-like and loathsome, it darted into a stupendous monster of nightmares to the monolith, about which it flung its gigantic scaly arms and while it bowed its hideous head and, and gave vent to certain measured sound, I think I went mad then. Of my frantic ascent to, of the slope and cliff and of my delirious journey back to the stranded boat, I remember little. I believe I sang a great deal and laughed oddly when I was unable to sing. I have distinct recollections of a great storm sometime after I reached the boat. At any rate, I know that I heard peals of thunder and other tones which nature utters only in her wildest moods. When I came out of the shadows, I was in a San Francisco hospital brought thither by the captain of an American ship which had picked me up my boat in mid-ocean. In my delirium, I had said much, but found that my words had given, been given scant attention. Of any land upheaval in the Pacific, my rescuers knew nothing, nor did I deem it necessary to insist upon a thing which I knew they could not believe. Once I sought out a celebrated ethnologist and amused him with uh, peculiar questions regarding the ancient Philistine legend of Dagon, the fish god. But soon, perceiving that he was hopelessly, hopelessly, 
conventional, I did not press my inquiries. It is at night, especially when the moon is given and waning, that I see the thing. I tried morphine, but the drug has given only transient surcease and has drawn me into its clutches as a hopeless slave. So now I'm to end it all, having written a full account for the information or the contemptuous amusement of my fellow men. Often I ask myself if it could not all have been a pure phantasm, a mere freak of fever as I lay sunstricken and raving in the open boat after my escape from the German man of war. This I ask myself, but ever does there come before me a hideously vivid vision in reply. I cannot think of the deep sea without shuddering at the nameless things that may at this very moment be crawling and floundering in its slimy bed, worshipping their ancient stone idols and carving their own detestable likenesses on submarine obelisks of water-soaked granite. I dream of a day when they may rise above the billows and drag down in their reeking talons and the remnants of puny, war-exhausted mankind. Of a day when the land shall sink and the dark ocean floor shall ascend amidst universal pandemonium. The end is near. I, I hear a noise at the door as of some immense slippery body lumbering against it. It shall not find me. God, that hand, the window, the window. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? I remember, um, I remember the first time I, I read H.P. Lovecraft. Um, you know, there's, he uses, you know, so many adjectives, adjectives and the way he writes is just so different from, you know, any sort of short stories most of the time you see the protagonist is alone uh, very few stories of Lovecraft have um, friends you know so to speak and it's quite often that you know, something is happening to the protagonist and very rarely is the protagonist doing something. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's very, it's definitely like a very unique style and, uh, you know, some of his stories, you know, some of his stories, I, I mean, just trying to understand those long sentences, those run-on sentences is, you know, it's, it's it's definitely it's quite quite tough, um, and 
and and there's you know repeating themes as well right so i mean we talked about the lonely man um you know quite often lonely and a lot of his horror also comes from the fact that we don't know what's on the other side you know like in cthulhu like we know what cthulhu looks like we you know in 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 this story in dagon we don't really know what dagon looks like right like yeah you know there's like you know he alludes to a fish god and he alludes to um you know something being so big and so vast and and things like that but you know a lot of the horror is is not really like it's just whatever you imagine right and and that's probably the the scariest kind of horror because your imagination automatically assumes the worst right um and you know his stories are definitely like you know slow slow burns so to speak and and very few sort of jump scares and and things like that so you know it is it is it is very interesting now Lo- lovecraft himself right so let's talk about lovecraft um so he used to write you know a lot of these these stories in uh you know in those magazines right the short story magazines um you know and he used to submit them and and you know other people did pick up on it even during his lifetime and and made something with those stories you know so you know there definitely was that mythos which already existed not just that lovecraft created but also that um fellow writers contemporary to him picked up and 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 created right um so it's it's just you know it's just a pity that he was never famous during his life and uh and you know he died penniless um you know if you watch the documentary on lovecraft you know what you will see is um you know it it is a sad life right i mean it it is he was well read he was um you know he did have sort of friends and 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 other you know other writers or things like that but you know not to any social like maybe not to a degree where you know where um where you could you could say that okay maybe he wasn't wasn't a lonely man and i think that's that's probably something that comes through in in a lot of his works right a lot of the protagonists are are alone or um uh, you know or you know or the kind of adventures that they do or they go on are are sort of alone uh so that's you know that's uh, it's a recurring theme in in his writings for sure um but during his life he didn't find any sort of fame you know right and even the cthulhu mythos and and everything else that got picked up was you know after his death and he died you know pretty much penniless right so so that's you know, it's it's kind of sad when you think about it because you know you what of what use i mean yeah okay there is a legacy right there is a legacy that now people know lovecraft um you know if before today you didn't know well now you know lovecraft 
um, you know all of his books uh, all of his writings are available for free online um, so you can you know you can check it out for yourself but you know during his life he never saw the fruits of his his labor his art and to me that's in a way you know it's better i would say than never being known right never being famous at all so it's definitely better than that to be famous after death than during you know when you're living but well the ideal is that okay you know what i i create my work i i write my piece of music i you know i write my book and i'm you know i'm at least semi famous during my lifetime and and yeah you could argue that he was semi famous but you know i not really right i i don't know i mean if 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 other people if you think otherwise you know drop me a message i i'm definitely curious to to hear more about it but almost all of his fame came after after the fact um and you know as as somebody who tries to create i feel like you know that is you know that's a that's a that's a terrible fate right terrible thing and the fear is you know you're creating all this for well yeah you're creating all this for yourself right you're for sure but you're also creating it for other people you want people to consume it to like it to you know to enjoy it um i certainly do and 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 obviously the fear is okay well what if nobody well the, okay there's two fears right so the first is what if nobody finds it nobody what if nobody finds my work um you know today we live in a sea of sea of content right so you can listen to thousands and thousands and thousands of audiobooks you can listen to thousands and thousands of podcasts and it's just such an overload that how do you get found you know i don't know if it was early easier in in the past but today certainly right there there's just so much um so much to consume that a user may never find you and and you know that's a, as an artist that's definitely a fear for me um that yeah that my work will just maybe never be appreciated and you know you can't you can't do much about it right when i think about it yeah i can't really do much about it the only thing that i can i can do is create anyway maybe people consume it and they like it or or dislike it you know people disliking your work is obviously another fear right because today there's just you know you can directly connect with you with the, with the artists as well you know with instagram and your facebook and comments and this and that and you know you can literally say hey man i found your work and i and i hated it you know you're an idiot uh 
Um, or the other way around, you can say, oh, you know, I, I love your work, it's fantastic, and you can talk to your artist directly. Uh, and that wasn't the case in the past. Um, but, yeah, okay, so, yeah, you know, coming back to the point, yeah, maybe somebody consumes it, they like it, dislike it, fine. But the worst part is, or is okay, you know, you create all of these things and then you're just like one of those many thousands of you know thousands of millions of um, of podcasts or music or or books that are just lying there you know and and um what do you do about it right what do you do about it so yeah you know that's that what all right what what about what about lovecraft let's see um you know, he, he, interestingly enough, so when I watched the documentary um, on Lovecraft, it was quite interesting that he actually was married, right? He actually got married and, um, you know, for somebody who's, who's sort of like such a, sort of an antisocial or, or, you know, not so social, you know, to, to have a wife and, 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 you know that is is was definitely a surprise to me he um you know and then and then you know they got separated so his wife and he got separated um i think her name was sonia sonia green and he wrote um and he wrote a story after that about um you know about a woman that yeah about about a, a a man that falls in love with a woman who's not really um, who he thinks she is and uh, and definitely got inspired by by that time in his life as well and at some point maybe in the future I I'll do a reading of that story um, uh, you know you should call uh, you should read it though it's uh, it's available online for free it's called the thing on the doorstep. Uh, and it's uh, it's it's a, it's a very interesting read. It's very different from from most of his works, uh, but quite similar as well. Like it's kind of what you would expect from Lovecraft. Um, it's called the Thing on the Doorstep. So um, yeah, if you're interested, you should definitely go go check it out. Um, what else? What else about Lovecraft is is interesting? You know, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, we already covered the fact that, you know, he was never able to support himself um, as an author. Um, you know, he wasn't really good with money, although he was really good with stories and, uh, and the science fiction and things like that. Um, a lot of his work also has sort of, you know, it's come under pressure for, under fire for the racism um which is an interesting topic that you know i think we should talk about as well is so some people say that okay you know what this guy is a product of his time and and in his time um you know people were quite wary of foreigners and and people of color and things like that uh and then and then some people say okay well it doesn't matter what time period you come from and racism is racism and it's true racism is racism right um and you know i just think that 
regardless of that sort of undertone if you his works have had an incredible effect on on a genre he literally created or you know he literally was the you know the the genre of lovecraftian horror is literally in his name right this lovecraftian horror so there was an immense um you know an an immense uh, effect that he's had in in literature for sure but what about racism right like how do you how do you deal or how do you tackle with it um especially because when when you consume something there is the artist and then there is the work of that artist right and can you separate the two right can you separate the two can you um i don't know um and and you know when your work itself has racist sort of undertones you know what do you what do you do with it right i mean i personally didn't even realize this until i read an article um on the racism of of um of some of his works um and it's not you know it's there right it's not it's not in your face and maybe that's why i didn't even realize it um it's definitely not in your face and but but it's it's you know it's it's there and again like i said right like can you separate the artist from his work um and that's such a gray area it really depends right on 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 a person to person but is racism good i mean obviously not and and you shouldn't like you know what's the you know is one person better than the other i don't know right obviously not so so i mean that you know that that opens up a, a, a you know a whole plethora of of sort of conversations that you can have around when you create a work um you know and and it it is a product of a certain time period and it doesn't stand well it doesn't age well so to speak what do you do with it right what do you do with it i mean he's obviously dead <laughs> and and you know lovecraft already you know he's he passed away in in 1937 so it's been you know close to 80 years right more than that um you know it's 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 similar to when you think about sexism right like i think you know we know for a fact that women you know are still oppressed in in many societies and they were more oppressed than they are today uh, they were more oppressed than they are today um you know but the works of the time which talk about oppressive women oppressing women i you know they they shed some light into <clears throat> into the into what life was like then <clears throat> excuse me you know when warner brothers released uh you know their dvds um you know if you if you go through those cartoons 
there is a lot of racism in that cartoons as well. I mean, you think about, you know, that um, Speedy Ma- Speedy Gonzalez, for example, right? It's such a such a racist sort of a cartoon. I mean, it was you know when you were, when you were a child. When I was a child, I definitely watched it. I enjoyed it. You know, so and we didn't know any better. I didn't know any better, but now I know, right? But how do you think about this art and and you know the question becomes okay well do you accept this interpretation so you know coming back to the warner brothers um, sort of you know before playing their old looney tunes sort of films you know they have a message that essentially says the cartoons you are about to see are products of their time they may depict some of the ethnic and racial prejudices that were commonplace in American society. These depictions were wrong then and are wrong now, wrong today. While the following does not represent the Warner Brothers' view of today's society, these cartoons are being presented as they were originally created, because to do otherwise would be the same as claiming these prejudices never existed. And obviously, it's such an eloquently put message right to to say you know we're showing it as is they did exist um you know and and they're wrong um and and you know watch it you can watch it and you can enjoy a product of that time while knowing that it's racist um or can you, you know, can you? So, or you don't think about it in terms of racism. You don't think about it in terms of, and, and you know, there, I, you know what, what is the right answer here? You know, what is the right answer? If, if, you know, if you as a listener have an opinion, you know, drop me a message, drop me a voice message or, you know, or, 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 a, or a note and let me know what you think. Because I'm curious, right, to hear about other people's opinions on these, these kind of things. We talked a little bit about the whole ability to influence the creators, access to creators that an audience has today. You don't like something, just, you know, you can literally send a message or, or you know, a tweet to, to the creator or to the artist or, and just say, hey, you know, I, I think this is stupid. Right. And it's very easy to do. And and that's what, you know, and you can literally influence in today's world. You can literally influence huge corporations by these things. So, you know, what happens to James Gunn when he was fired from the Guardians of the Galaxy films and then, you know, subsequently brought back. But essentially it was about the cancel culture. Right. You know, which is an interesting thing to think about as well, because artists are going to create, you know, what they what they create. I mean, it is creating is essentially an individual process, right? Uh, or a group comes together and then creates it. Okay, yeah, you have, you know, you have writers' rooms in in TV shows where many different writers, you know, sit together and plan things out and yada, yada, yada. Okay. Yeah. So in some cases you do have groups of creators, but 
to influence an artist to to not do something and 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 the cancel culture it's just it's um you know it's just it's bizarre i i can understand it i can understand not liking something i can understand not you know when you think about racism right like okay you know what if today you create something that's that's racist the there has to be a narrative around why that is the way it is um and you know but but you know if you don't like someone i don't i don't know i i, I don't know what the right answer to this is right but there is you know cancel culture is becoming so prominent where you know and anything that has influence has power is going to be misused um and we've seen that right there has there have been so many cases where you know literally trying to cancel artists or shows has become a uh, almost a point of power right so yeah how did we get from lovecraft to cancel culture jesus christ um <laughs> um but yeah it's you know it's uh, it's 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 definitely an interesting time we live in and and lovecraft um lovecraft's works are are you know have created like a whole new genre and i would um highly recommend reading um obviously the call of cthulhu which is really famous uh, the thing on the doorstep um also one of my favorites uh you know some of his his works can be really wordy um but yeah these two i think you know they're 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 uh, very very enjoyable and and um you know relatively easy reads compared to you know at the mountains of madness where you know it's it's just it takes forever to get into and and so on um yeah you know we didn't we didn't really talk that much about the life of uh, hp lovecraft though you know we we touched upon it a little bit and we talked about the the you know post posthumous posthumous is that the right, is that the pronunciation um posthumous fame that he that he garnered um you know maybe we can we'll do another episode just you know just talking about sort of like bio biographing if you will um hp lovecraft um you know and 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 some of the plans that i have for this podcast you know we i do want to talk about you know uh the life of rumi uh the life of uh, constantine the emperor so 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 really i think you know biography is something that we that we might do um you know in in sort of like a condensed version uh at some point in the future um so that's you know that's that's where we are thank you so much for listening as always i hope um you know i hope you liked uh, the things that we talked about today um you know or at least in uh, you know found them uh, informative uh you know or thought provoking but you know give me you know send me a message whether it's a voice message or a note and let me know what you think uh you know i'm always um always want to hear more about uh you know about about uh, opinions about uh from from you uh so that's uh that's what we have for today this has been varied interests with me your host Tarun Betala and i will see you soon 
Uh, take care and stay safe.